Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022. And could it be? Could it really be? What am I talking about? It's 60 degrees here at the Mance. I just walked outside and looked at the thermometer. Uh, it's a little dreary today outside, but could it be that even though technically fall starts on September the 22nd, Boy, it would be nice if we got an early start, or at least I think it would be. I've looked at the weather. It doesn't look like we're climbing out of the 70s again. So maybe that means 60s are next, not 80s. But we shall see. Um, like I said, I get excited about these things. I don't know about you, but I'm also excited about the fact that we are here together this morning. I hope that your week has been speeding along nicely. Thank you so much for all of your kind messages and words. I'm feeling much, much, much better and uh, excited about the weekend that is ahead. Speaking of that, got some things going on in Old Providence. This coming Sunday is Rally Day for Christian education for our Sunday school classes. That means that um, we will have our regular service at 10 a.m. and then we will have our Rally Day activities with our classes outside on the lawn. It looks like the weather's gonna be good. So <clears throat> at least that's the last time I checked it. Hopefully the weather will be good. Um, but after we, we have our activities outside, we're going to have a picnic. Um, Christian Ed uh, Committee is going to be providing all the meat for the, the meal, but we do ask that you bring sides and desserts and that sort of thing. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Um, so that's at Old Providence at 10 a.m. Our service starts. Um, we hope to see you there if you are local, and if you are not local, I hope that you will be in a Bible-believing church, and I don't mean online. Now, sometimes that is necessary. Please don't misunderstand me, okay? With the rise of COVID out there, there are some people <clears throat> that face a whole lot of complications. Some people are going through different treatments. Please understand, when I'm, when I'm stressing these things, I know that there are times when people cannot attend church, okay? But if you can attend... Um, Oh, I don't know, Walmart, Applebee's, Chili's, that sort of thing. Um, to say, oh, I can't be in church. We got plenty of room to spread out, okay? Um, nevertheless, uh, and, and I'm sure that you can find a Bible-believing church close to you, or I pray that you can find a Bible-believing church close to you that you can be a regular part of. Now, off of that soapbox, but do make that decision. The decision to be in worship on the Lord's Day begins the previous week on the Lord's Day, right? Um, but nevertheless, let's dig into where we are getting to today. Yesterday, we started chapter nine. We didn't get very far because we came to this really serious question, um, that question of affliction, right? Um, in John chapter nine, the disciples and Jesus are going along. They see a man that was born blind. The disciples want to know if it was the man that sinned or if it was par his parents who sinned that brought this affliction on him. Well, we found out yesterday that the answer was no. <laughs> and Jesus is really good at that, y'all. When people ask him either or questions, uh, is it this or is it this? Jesus is really good at saying, no, it's actually this thing over here. We find out in the case of this man that was born blind, um, well, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Y'all, what Jesus points to here is the reality of this life that we lead. 
that sometimes the Lord brings affliction into our life, brings tribulation, presents us with a cross to bear for multiple reasons, because it may glorify God, right? It may, not may, it will aid us in our relationship with him. The more, really, the more that we see we can't do it on our own, the more we rely on our father. Remember the sweetest words of a child? Daddy, help. I can't do it. Now, I still remember my daughter bringing something to me, trying to take the batteries out of it, that sort of thing. And in fact, interestingly enough, she got a little lamp the other day that required batteries and she brought it to me and said, I can't do it. And you know, that, that melts my heart that she still needs me. And I'm an imperfect, selfish father. Right. Those are the sweetest words your heavenly father. Um, some of the sweetest words your heavenly father can hear you say, which is, Daddy, I, I can't. I need you. Please help me. So the Lord sometimes brings affliction into your life for that purpose, to draw you back to himself, to give you the opportunity for your faith to grow. James chapter one, right? We should consider it pure joy when we face trials and temptations of many kinds. Why? Because trials and temptations produce perseverance. And perseverance, when we run the race, we win the crown of life. So it's not always about when trouble comes that God is smiting you for something, as some people believe. So that's what we really focused on yesterday. Right. Really, just those first three verses. We're going to pick up in verse four today. But again, before we do, I've just got to say, please understand me that I'm not denying the fact that there are consequences in this life, too. Right. You know, it's like the, the church sign that won't fit on ours. But the, that funny church sign that says everything happens for a reason. And then underneath it, it says sometimes the reason is you're unwise and make really stupid decisions. And I'm not meaning like you personally. This is the human flaw. This is what we all face. This is what we all struggle with when we follow our priorities instead of God's priorities. In those circumstances, we face consequences. That's not a matter of God smiting us either. That's a matter um, of God loving us enough to let us go through things so that, that, that we can be corrected. But also, it's a pure matter of consequence. But that's not what's going on here in John chapter 9. This is not a consequence of the man sinning, of his parents sinning, anything like that. The Lord has done this. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, picking up at verse 4, but let's pray before we do. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that we have this time together. Please guide us in it. Um, we've already talked about heavy, heavy stuff here. Um, and yet, Father, more heavy stuff is on the way. So give us understanding, guide us by your Holy Spirit, that we would uh, both understand the content of your word, yes, but also its application to us. So please, guide us right now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 9, beginning in verse 4. Now, this is right after Jesus said, so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus makes sort of a cryptic statement here. Verse 4, Jesus said, as long as it is day... We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, pause right there. 
is about to do something, but pause right there for just a second. Again, this is kind of a vague statement, and there are multiple layers to this statement, okay? How do we understand what Jesus is saying? What's he talking about this business as long as it's day before the night comes? Well, what we need to be careful to do is sometimes you need to start with what something isn't instead of what something is, okay? This is not some vague prophecy thing about, you know, some coming judgment or anything like that, okay? People have taken this verse and they have run with it, y'all. They have made all sorts of applications and we don't have any business applying. There are two meanings. Number one, the first meaning, first and foremost meaning, the most obvious meaning is Jesus is referring to the fact that he is there, right there, with the disciples in the world, working his earthly ministry. Jesus knows that he is going to go back to Jerusalem, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be tortured, that he's going to be beaten, and then he is going to be killed. But he knows he's going to rise again. However, very, very soon here, Jesus is going to start talking about what happens after he rises again. Namely, he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to go, John 14, right? When we get there, he's going to talk about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And don't be sad about this, because if I don't go, then I can't send the helper, right? the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But that's the first obvious understanding of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, disciples, let's make hay while the sun shines. No pun intended. He is the son of God there amongst them. He is working his earthly ministry. He says, I'm here. We need to be doing the works of the one who sent me. But the double meaning is this. That other meaning is this, this meaning where the sun does ascend back into heaven, where we have the Holy Spirit. And we're still in this time that is called today. Right? If you were to fast forward to the book of Hebrews, you'd see the author of Hebrews challenging those who received the book to turn to Christ while today is still called today while you still have the opportunity, all right? And that alludes mainly to the fact that one day Jesus is coming back, y'all. Do you know that? One day Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, there will be no more atheists because every knee will bow in heaven or on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved. It means everybody's going to know. And it's going to be too late to turn to him. It's going to be too late to do the works that his father has prepared in advance for us to do. When Jesus returns, that's it. It's the consummation of his kingdom, period. The end, which is really the beginning. But as far as our efforts, as far as, as, as our opportunity, um, yo, once Jesus comes back, you either belong to him or you don't. And if you don't, you're done. That's what I believe Jesus is alluding to in a broader context here. But do you know that the world is going to come to an end? I was actually thinking about this just a minute ago while I was brushing my teeth. Very strange things come to mind when I brush my teeth because I've got one of those, you know, electric toothbrush things. Maybe it's vibrating my brain a little bit too much. But it occurred to me... I saw something, and it was about Dodge, right? I don't know if you've seen this, and, and you, you struggle to know what's real and what isn't real and what's really going to happen. But apparently, Dodge, in four years, three years, something like that, maybe 2024, I can't remember, they're getting rid of gas-powered 
challengers and chargers, right? Which it's, it's, it's so frustrating. Not that I can afford a challenger or a charger, but it's all part of this, this clean initiative, right? They're going to, they're going to bring them back, but they're going to be electric vehicles, you know, which right now you can get a Dodge Demon and I think it has a thousand horsepower and, and gets, I don't know, eight or nine miles to the gallon, that sort of thing. I'm not saying it's good to waste gas, but you know, I, I, I'm an American, right? And uh, we, we like big cars that go really fast and guzzle gasoline and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm down with that. What I'm not down with is this idea that we've got to save the planet. We've got to save the planet. If you don't realize this, this has become a religion, right? You know, the whole idea of saving the world, and I'm not trying to be political here. This is not about politics. This is, uh, I'll get to the point that I'm making in just a second here, but when you think about it, right, um, you know, really and truly this this save the planet stuff has become a religion of its own think about it you've got purgatory which is global warming right things are heating up the weather's going crazy things are getting so much worse you've got hell which is the eventual meltdown that the world is going to fall into um, I remember Al Gore, something like 19 years ago said we've got 10 years left or the world's going to fall apart well, surprisingly enough, about nine years ago, he changed his tune just a little bit and said, oh, no, now we've got until the year 2030. Isn't that fascinating how you get to just move the goalpost as you please when your predictions don't come true? But yeah, that, 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 of course, is hell when everything falls apart. Speaking of, of religion, it's like Al Gore and these, these gurus are, are the high priest of it. You even have indulgences, which are called carbon credits that you can buy to offset how much you're a, how big of a carbon footprint that, that, that you're making. You know, this stuff is religion, right? Look at how this stuff is taught. Look at, at the agenda that is pushed on this stuff. And as I was brushing my teeth, this is the point I was going to make. So I was brushing my teeth and wondering about why in the world would they get rid of, of gasoline powered cars and all these other things? It occurred to me. And I believe this was the Holy Spirit illuminating this for me, really and truly I do, that these people don't believe that Jesus is ever going to come back. And the reason they don't believe that Jesus is going to come back is because they don't know Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They have no plan for the kingdom of God coming, for the earth being completely consumed. They don't listen to God's word, say that the earth is not going to pass away until Jesus returns. So this idea that we're going to end up in some, you know, nuclear environmental apocalypse and everybody's going to die because the oceans are going to boil over. and all, no. It's not going to happen. God's word tells us that the world is going to remain until Jesus comes back, and then he's going to make all things new. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that we won't have problems. But y'all, these people that have fallen into this religion of saving the planet, they don't believe Jesus is coming back. They don't believe that. They don't believe in a final judgment. They, don't, they believe that the earth is just going to remain and remain and remain and remain. And so they look at the scientific data and they say, oh, we got to save the planet. Because if we don't turn this around quickly, well, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And we're going to be guilty of this. We need to love our mother. Come on, y'all. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. You don't know when. Um, none of us know when. But we know he's coming. And the earth will remain until then. But these people that fall into this stuff, they don't have that concept. I don't know how people make it, y'all. 
the idea that the world is just going to keep on going and going and going and going and that mankind is never going to be redeemed. I'd be scared to death if I believed that. I, I don't know how people put one foot in front of the other. And as I said, it occurs to me that a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. That, that's why the world is so crazy. Nevertheless, that's what Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, hey, listen, while you have the opportunity, do those things that God has called you to do. Now, without saying anything else, verse 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the, with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. All right. His neighbors, verse 8, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, now, pause, before we get into his reply. You know, this doesn't need any explanation. It is so obvious what's going on here. After Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, hey, I'm here, we need to be doing the works of God. <coughs> Jesus offers his sign, right, of his, of his authenticity, of his identity, as he spits on the dirt, makes mud, puts it on the man's eyes, send him, sends him to the pool of Siloam to wash. Now, y'all, there are people that do all sorts of things with this. They're saying, oh, well, you know, there was certain minerals in the mud and, um, you know, the man's eyes, they just had a film over them. And so, you know, when Jesus did this, it was abrasive and maybe it was cataracts and maybe it was this and maybe it was that. And maybe in the pool of Siloam, there were certain minerals in the water that were helpful to restore vision. Please don't be that cynical. Y'all, the people that do this were probably the people that went around telling other kids that Santa Claus isn't real. You know, don't be that way. And, and no, I'm not not endorsing it. My point is this, y'all. Don't be so small minded that you can't believe in the God who works miracles. You're a miracle. You're surrounded by examples of God intervening in the course of human history. I mean, where do you even begin to describe the glorious works of God? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Don't be so small-minded that you have to turn every miracle into some nice description. I had a professor once that did that about one of Israel's defeats of another army. Well, maybe they got the plague over. Not, no, y'all. God worked something miraculous here. Jesus did this thing. And besides, the idea that you get from the text is not that Jesus scrubbed this dude's eyeballs. You know, somebody stuck, stuck mud in your eyeballs and scrubbed it really good and said, hey, go wash. You're probably not going to be a calm person, right? I mean, no, there's no room for that kind of explanation. Don't cheapen God's word. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. And that's exactly what happened. And it's so miraculous, in fact, that the people, when the guy comes back, they don't even recognize him. They're like, hey, is this him? Nah, it just looks like him. And the guy's like, it's me. I, I am, <laughs> I promise you, I'm the guy, right? And, and the reason I, I, what the reason I stopped there in verse 11 is because we see something now. 
Y'all, we have a tendency to do lots of stuff. One of them is to complicate things. I've talked about this so many times. Um, we can complicate all sorts of facets of Christianity, especially evangelism. We can think, I got to have the right tactic. I, what if I don't have all the answers? What if they ask me this question? I'm not a pastor. I don't know what to say. I'm not a college professor. How do I know how to interact with this person? What if they do this? What if they do that? What if they say this? What if they believe that? Stop. Stop. You want to know what evangelism is? Verse 11. Or excuse me, I'll read verse 10 again. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, this is evangelism. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Guys, evangelism is not having these tactics. It's not having catchy phrases or anything like that. You know what evangelism is? Evangelism is simply bearing testimony to what the Lord has done for you. That's it. You don't have to be filled with all of this stuff. All you have to do is be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. And by the way, I don't know is an answer. I don't know, but I can help find out. That's an answer, too, and it's okay to not know. Now, it shouldn't be everything, obviously, but it's okay to not know some things. What evangelism is, is simply bearing testimony to the fact of what the Lord has done for you. And guys, that's what's most effective. I mean, look at verse 12. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he flat out says, I don't know. Um. Don't complicate things. This is why I often preach and talk about and pray about the fact that God gives us opportunities every day. It doesn't have to be laid out on a platter. But do you interact with people? Do you talk with other people? You might say, yes, but most everybody I talk to is a Christian. Well, I hope they are. But maybe they aren't. Only they know their relationship with the Lord. You don't know that. Um, but even if they are Christians, you can still evangelize. You can still preach the gospel. You can still testify. And all it comes down to is being ready to tell people about what Jesus has done for you. Recognizing what he's done for you comes first, of course, but then being willing to tell the story. Now, we're going to pick up with the aftermath of this next week on Monday. But for today, I know I've been all over the place this morning, but that's the nature of the chapter that we're in. But nevertheless, consider these things. We've got how many days until the Lord's Day? How many opportunities to testify? Take those opportunities. Recognize that like this man who was born blind, you didn't do anything to, to, to earn your healing. You were born in sin, and the Lord changed you if you're trusting in him. If you're not trusting in him, get right with him today. Ask him to be Lord of your life, and he will. With that, we'll end. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I pray your blessings on it. We thank you for this, this example of the man that was born blind, didn't have anything to do with his sin or anybody else's sin. It was your work. And also these words of Christ, this encouragement to get to work, not because we must, but because we may, and because that time is coming when that opportunity will be gone. And Father, as it relates to this man and his testimony, let us be willing and ready to tell others of your greatness, to point to what you've done, and to leave the consequences to you. 
Thank you for working. Thank you for building your church. And I pray now as we go into this weekend that you would go with us and that you would bring us all together in your timing. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for our live stream for the service. And then Monday morning at 7 a.m. Let's see, we've got Monica. Good morning. And there's Becky and Christine and Rose. And then there's the other Becky. And there's Helen and Alice and Marianne. Thank you all for commenting. I know there's a lot of others watching who aren't, but blessings to you all. Lord willing, we'll see you soon.